values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Now, to the average person, this would be a bit confusing. We see that Walmart profits are way up, Target profits way down. That seems very confusing. You would think the two of them would be going in the same direction normally in a normal economy. So to sort this all out, joining us right now from KB Advisory Group, Kristen Bentz. Welcome back, Kristen. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. A, a bit confused over what we're seeing with Target and Walmart and what it means to the overall economy and to the American spender. Can you give us some clarity here? Sure. It's very interesting. So typically in a recessionary environment, Walmart will always thrive because their main business model is what we call everyday low pricing, right? They use that all the time. Save money, live better is their motto. So when things get tight or tough as they have been, a lot of consumers will flock to Walmart to stretch their buck, right? Especially those that are on SNAP benefits, food stamps, et cetera, because they're getting more for their money. And so, you know, like I always say, government money is green, right? Yeah. So Walmart was a keen retailer in attracting this type of consumer, um, you know, as a value proposition. And then you have your target consumer, right? So everyone loves Target. It's everyone's favorite store until something bad happens. <laughs> and what you can tell now is this is my clue that, you know, my call on the recessionary environment that we're in is pervasive and has, you know, presented itself. When you look at what happened at Target yesterday, their earnings were absolutely horrific. Horrific. Do you buy into the part of their argument about why their their uh, their profits are down so much? They talked about organized retail crime. Is that significant enough? Significant enough at Target for that to drop their profits part uh, to this degree? Right. Okay. So I kind of um, am a little uh, skeptical on that comment. Now, the good thing about Target is they were very. Um, you know, kind of self-effacing when they came out earlier and said they had the supply chain problem, right? And they had all that inventory they were sitting on and it was going to kill them and they warned about it. They were going to work through that. So kudos to them for, you know, being transparent. But this organized crime thing, now Best Buy came out on an earnings call about two or three quarters ago saying that they were seeing an increase in organized crime and snatch and grabs. And with electronic stores, that would be plausible, right? But I am yet to hear of a flock of folks coming in and taking over a target. So (laughs) the other thing that was interesting to me and kind of an eyebrow raiser is they used $600,000, I think, um, to the balance sheet that was due to this, you know, horrific, you know, organized crime. That's a big number. Mm -hmm. And I've heard nothing about it. So I think, you know, shrinkage is what we call, you know, daily thievery in the retail business. And so, of course, a store like Target and Walmart, you know, no one's immune to people coming in and, you know, shoplifting. It happens all the time. It's just part of the business. But for this to be such a degree to hit their earnings, I don't know. I think it's something else, and I think they're not being as honest and forthcoming as they should be. That's just me. All right, so let's talk about a couple of other things. Amazon going to have layoffs. We know that we're hearing about furloughs at FedEx. This time of year for those two organizations to be doing that, what does it mean to the average consumer? Well, it means that these, you know, giant companies took all this PPP money and kept these employees on during COVID, and now they have the opportunity to get rid of them, and that's what they're doing. Um, It's not a good sign for the average consumer. You know, you have layoffs at Facebook, Meta, all these tech companies, FedEx, and now Amazon. The other thing that you and I talked about earlier um, that I saw a few weeks ago is that Amazon was focusing on a staff consumer for holiday Mm -hmm. and using layaway. 
So whenever, a, you know, a giant company, and I guess we should really call them a tech company now. I don't think they're a retailer anymore. But for Amazon to focus on those two sectors for holiday tells you that they're betting on kind of a busted consumer. That does not bode well for the consumer and for the U.S. economy as a whole. So what do you think now for the holidays? We were hearing the highest gas prices for Thanksgiving weekend, 20 percent more for Thanksgiving dinner. But as this moves toward the holiday spending, is this going to be have a big effect? As we also saw that retail sales are still fairly strong. Well, because everyone's using credit. So consumer credit jumped to $38 billion was a recent um, little data nugget there. So what everyone's doing is just, you know, putting their everyday expenses, you know, and Thanksgiving and Christmas on their credit cards that they probably or hopefully paid down during the pandemic. So January and February will be very interesting to see how things shape up after kind of this like credit hangover that people are going to be using for the holiday. The other thing I saw that I wanted to ask you about was that uh, that um, credit cards, like in-store credit cards, if you get a credit card from a specific location, some of the credit card interest rates now are approaching 30%. That's crazy, right? Oh, yeah. And like PSA, like don't use those store credit cards like ever, ever. <laughs> um, always decline them. But yeah, so the interest rates and, you know, uh, I was on Indian television yesterday and they had a question for me on you know what numbers do i look at when i'm looking at the economy and the consumer and i look at interest rates i mean interest rates and credit are the two biggest drivers right now of the economy the stock market and your wallet so once those start jacking up over 25 percent everything gets more expensive so i think we're going to have a decent holiday um that high-end luxury consumer is propping up the market we just need to see how long that's going to last Last question has to do with the recession or possibility of a recession. We are seeing stories that are saying that we are seeing a slowing of of inflation. That's good news for a lot of people. And they're saying we may avoid a recession. A, are we in a recession? And B, if not, are we able to avoid one in your mind? Okay, so my econ professor, (laughs) um, a little knowledge for you. So a typical recession is three consecutive quarters of negative GDP, negative gross domestic uh, product. We're in that now. Um, And then it becomes political. And then people are like, oh, no, we're not. Or yes, we are. And it becomes a whole thing. I personally think we've been in a recession. These last inflationary numbers were better. You know, better doesn't mean good. So I think what will happen is I still think the Fed will raise rates again by 50 basis points at least. And then I think that will tip us further into a recession if I have my crystal ball. As always, your expertise is uh, is fantastic. And I hope you'll come back after Thanksgiving as we move toward the holidays and see how spending is going and what your predictions are for retail because you've been spot on for as long as we've been talking. Well, I sure will. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you. All right. That's Kristen Bentz, uh, KB Advisory Group. She is a fantastic follow on on social media, and uh, her company is spot on. She is such a great guest uh, all over the country, all over the world when it comes to finance and and retail. We're lucky to have her here in the Valley. Coming up in just a moment, um, Governor DeSantis and Donald Trump, the former president, head-to-head, who's winning and why? We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong 
values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. We're going to talk about the election. We're also going to talk about the direction of 2024 because immediately after the election results were kind of known around the country, and there are still some races that are out there to be seen, one of them here in Arizona for sure, is, uh, and that is the race for attorney general, which is like seven less than 800 votes right now separates Chris Mays from uh, Abe Hamaday. So uh, that still is, remains to be seen. Kathy Hoffman, uh, the current superintendent, the Democrat, has conceded the race this morning. It's Tom Horn. So Republican Tom Horn will once again be superintendent of public instruction here in the state of Arizona. But in the governor's race, uh, candidate Carrie Lake has been very quiet since the race had been called for her opponent, uh, the secretary of state and now governor-elect Katie Hobbs. But this morning, Carrie Lake put out a video on social media. And uh, I just want you to hear a little bit of what uh, what Carrie Lake had to say. I am still in this fight with you. For two years, I've been sounding the alarm about our broken election system here in Arizona. And this past week has confirmed everything we've been saying. So uh, and she goes on to talk about what some of those concerns were and that how right they were about some things. When we called for Katie Hobbs to recuse herself over a year ago, they ridiculed us. It turns out we were right. The fox was guarding the hen house. And because of that, voters have been disenfranchised. When we raised concerns and I filed a lawsuit months ago to get rid of the electronic voting machines, they said we were crazy. Well, it turns out we were right. So, and I, I, what she means by that they were right, I want you to hear, I'm, there's a just, it, it's such, it's a, it's a fairly long video, too long to play all in its entirety. So you, we're going to get it up on social media. I'll share it on my social media pages, but she talks about the machines. On election day, nearly half of all polling locations had problems with tabulating machines and printers. Malfunctioning tabulation machines forced voters to wait in line for hours to exercise their sacred right to vote. She had some she says she had some conversations with voters. I talked to voters who waited in line for hours. One man told me he went to a location and there was a three hour line because the tabulators weren't working. He drove 15 miles to another location and the printers weren't working. He drove another 15 miles and was finally able to cast his vote, but he's not sure it counted. Our election officials failed us miserably. What happened to Arizonans on election day is unforgivable. Tens of thousands of miracle but county voters were disenfranchised. So what is going to happen now? Now, I'm busy here collecting evidence and data. Rest assured, I have assembled the best and brightest legal team, and we are exploring every avenue to correct the many wrongs that have been done this past week. I'm doing everything in my power to right these wrongs. My resolve to fight for you is higher than ever. So there are a few things here at play. First of all, she's right about a couple of things in saying that there were voters that waited long periods of time to vote. There were problems with the printers, and it was a printer issue that wasn't with the tabulation machines per se. What was happening was the printers were not printing correctly, so the tabulation machines were kicking the votes out. There's no doubt that happened. But this is where the problem is with with this kind of a blanket statement. If I were Kerry Lake, I would be very upset about this as well. When you fight for two years of force, something this much and you come that close, I would be upset too. There's no doubt about that. 
But the idea that this only affected and disenfranchised Republican voters is is not proven at all. And it's hard to say it happened mostly to Republicans or we would have won if this didn't happen. Uh, the comment about the gentleman that says he had to go to two different voting locations where he couldn't vote and finally went to a third one where he could vote. But he doesn't know if his vote counted. If he watched his vote go in the tabulation machine, it counted unless you believe that the machines are compromised. The other thing that started at the beginning of this saying that it, is it a conflict of interest that the secretary of state who is running for an office oversees the election? Well, this has been going on in other offices. The county recorder is an elected position. And for years, the county recorders across the state of Arizona, they oversee elections in each one of their counties, even when they are on the ballot. So um, it, it isn't cheating just because someone is there. But the accusation, is there an accusation? And I would like to, and I've reached out a couple of days ago to Carrie Lake, and I would love to be able to have a conversation and ask her, does she believe that Katie Hobbs cheated? Because the inference seemed to be there, that the, the fox was watching the hen house, was an inference that it's possible that the Secretary of State's office cheated in this election. Uh, is it there an appearance of impropriety when a sitting Secretary of State that's running for the highest office in the state, being the governor's office, is overseeing elections? Is that a conflict of interest? Should she have recused herself? That's a different conversation. If we believe as a state that if you're going to run for that office, you have to recuse yourself from – or any office – recuse yourself from overseeing the elections for years and years and years. Let's go back to the the secretary of state that I knew, which was our former governor, Jan Brewer. Uh, she oversaw elections for a very long time here in Arizona as our secretary of state. And even when she was on the ballot, she would oversee the elections. So the idea that you're going to accuse somebody of cheating and, and I, she did not come out and make an accusation. But I would like to hear if her impression is that there was cheating that went on. There is a difference between making mistakes. There is absolutely no doubt that Maricopa County had mistakes that happened. Now, whether they turn out to be intentional or they turn out just to be errors on the worst possible day. I don't know the answer to that, and neither does anyone else. We also don't know if it cost anybody a significant number of votes. We don't know the answer to that. So I don't blame Kerry Lake for saying we want to look into this. But if, if there's going to be another accusation of cheating, if it's going to be a stolen election, that means it's an overt act to take it from you. There's a difference between mistakes being made. And I'll, I'll go back to my football analogy I use all the time in the NFL. A, few, a couple of years ago, there was the worst call I've ever seen in a playoff game that prevented one team from going to the Super Bowl. It was a pass interference penalty that wasn't called, that was so obvious there wasn't a person that could run and hide from it. It was the worst call I've ever seen in the NFL. Was it a bad mistake? Was it just a, a referee that was in the wrong place and didn't get the call right? Or was it intentional? Did that referee do it intentionally to stop that team from going to the Super Bowl? And you may say it doesn't matter. The team didn't get to go. It does matter. It matters for the integrity of the election process of, of whether or not mistakes were made, which absolutely need to be corrected, or if people intentionally cheated to steal an election from people. There is a huge difference there. And we, I'm gonna, we have to find out as the days go on, as uh, as Carrie Lake continues to speak. If her legal team does speak out, if they believe cheating is there, you better have proof before you accuse people of cheating. You're talking about people 
that I don't believe are cheaters. I don't think Bill Gates, a Republican. I don't think Clint Hickman, a Republican, or the Republicans and Democrats on the county board of supervisors. I don't believe Stephen Richer, the county recorder, a Republican, is cheating to help elect Democrats. I don't believe they cheat to elect Republicans. But if there is evidence of wrongdoing, of cheating, bring it forward because those people need to be held accountable. And let's see. The assumption that cheating happened is not fair either. And so we'll see. We will see what happens to the state of Arizona moving forward. Um, a, this is hilarious to me in a way, but sad in another. A big number of college students say their classes are too difficult. We'll talk about that coming up in just a moment. and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. If you have not subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. Very simple to do on any device you have. You'll never miss a minute of the show again. It's the Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you this week by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home and guaranteed offers by going to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Uh, again, thanks for joining me this morning. A lot to talk about the the video released this morning by gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake not conceding the race but saying they're still in the fight. They've got a legal team. They're looking in voter disenfranchisement. So we'll get into a little bit more of that. We've got a lot to talk about on the economic front. But education is a frequent topic on the show. Um, this morning, the superintendent of public instruction, Kathy Hoffman, has conceded her race for that office again. Former um, attorney general and former superintendent of public instruction in Arizona, Tom Horn, will be the new um, superintendent of public uh, public instruction in the state of Arizona, a position he has held before. So th- it leads me to this story. This is from the USA Today. It's an opinion piece, but here's the headline. Are college classes too hard for today's students? Alarming numbers say yes. So Maitland Jones, a professor of organic chemistry and co-author of a respected textbook, was dumped by NYU after 82 students in her introductory organic chemistry course signed a petition saying the course was too hard and their grades were too low. This is what happens when you lower the standard. And it isn't the college standard necessarily. It's the public school system. And I want to be very clear about this. I am not slamming teachers. And anybody out there that is a teacher that I've met understands that I have a great amount of respect for education and for teachers. Coming from someone who lacked education because I was a horrible student, but I had great teachers, I look back on the respect I needed to have for them then that I wish I had had for them then and for the process. But schools are different now than they were in the 1980s when I was in high school. Schools are dramatically different. The curriculum is different. And you have teachers that are teaching subject matters outside of what their expertise and what the directive is. Social studies teachers are not teaching social studies. They are, but not in the only that. They are teaching all of these other curriculums in many places. And I think it's the dumbing down of America. You know, we don't write in cursive, but it's not necessary sometimes. So I understand this sometimes. And Everybody's got a phone that has spell check. You don't even have to know how to spell anymore. But what we are doing is we are making it easier and easier to pass people on with less and less of an education. So this is where it really bothers me, not for me, 
but for the generation that's coming up now, is that you will understand someday that what happened to you when you were young was a disservice and not a service to you. Passing you on and pushing you through when you're not ready and not qualified is a disservice to you. I will tell you, I'll use an example of the military. Everybody understands in years past, and I think it's still the same, that boot camp or basic training, whichever branch of the service you're in, is very difficult. Marine Corps boot camp, to earn that Eagle Globe and Anchor, that, that for you to earn the status of being called a United States Marine, is, is, in hist- is historically very difficult. And so for a recruit that is going through Marine Corps training, it's a nightmare, and they hate it, and they want to quit at times sometimes, but it pushes them forward and pushes them forward, and it makes them better. It's why the United States Marine Corps, with all due respect to all the branches of service, are known as the greatest fighting force in the world because their training, their basic training, their boot camp was so immensely difficult to pass. Go beyond that. You go beyond that to SEAL training and BUDS, basic underwater demolition training, BUDS training is, uh, what do they call it, two weeks and a long day of the beginning of where they just want to see if you have the mental capacity and ability to overcome your weaknesses and push forward for a goal. And if you do, at the end of that time, to earn your stripes as a Navy SEAL, you look back fondly on that experience where they pushed you past your limits. That's what takes good people and makes them excellent. That's what that's what that does to people. And the same principle in education is the same principle in life. If you make it easy, then that's all the achievement you get. If you make it difficult and then you persevere, getting on the other side of it is something that you will never forget. Becoming a United States Marine, I would imagine, because I've never gone through the training. My brother did. Becoming a United States Marine or any branch of the service where it's difficult. If you go into special forces, you become an army ranger, you become uh, um, part of the uh, Green Berets, any one of these other specialty units and special forces, you understand that you are the elite, that you have gone through a training at the basics of it that make you the elite fighting force or soldier or airman or, or, or marine that there is out there or SEAL. And when they go through the training, when they're going through the training, they hate it. When they get on the other side of it, it's an honor, and they want to make sure that the generation behind them, A, has to go through the same thing so that they earn that rank. They earn that designation, and it should be the same principle in education. Yes, it sucks. All kids think school is horrible. But when you get on the other side of a real education, when you get a graduate, when you get an education from an Ivy League school or you get an education from a state university, it doesn't matter. If it's something that was difficult for you, when you look at that diploma hanging on the wall, you're going to realize that's an accomplishment. It wasn't that I just went and marked time. I didn't show up in class and sit there and go through it for two years or four years or beyond that to get a master's degree. I actually put in the work and I earned this. And then it doesn't seem so bad. Then you're Remember it fondly. But the other part of this in public education that I think connects all the dots with this is that is the preparation. Go to in the elementary school. Everything you need for the rest of your life to learn, you learn in elementary school. You learn how to read, you learn how to comprehend, you learn how to convey a thought, you learn basic math, which gives you the ability to learn math for the rest of your life. So even if you do what I did and you are a terrible student in high school, my basic education in elementary school carried me that I had the ability to learn for the rest of my life. When I finally got into the trades and I became an electrician, I became a good electrician. 
I was six years. I went from knowing nothing, and six years later, I was the manager of a small company. It was a very small company, but I was in management. I, I excelled because I had the tools to learn, and I thank God for those teachers that gave me those tools to learn. We are not giving young people the tools to learn. We're not. We are creating progressive citizens and instead of creating critical thinkers, and it's showing. You got this huge number of college kids that are saying our classes are too hard. We're going to sign a petition to get rid of our professor because our classes are too hard. Can you imagine? Can you imagine my friend Ed, the Marine here, could you imagine signing a petition because your drill instructor in the Marine Corps was too hard on you? Can you imagine that happening? No, but when you get through the training, the designation of United States Marine means more because it was a difficult thing for you to achieve. And that, to me, is what we should be fostering in people, giving them the tools to succeed. Because like on the battlefield, the United States Marine Corps, it's not just about being difficult to be called a Marine. It's that you have the tools to survive when you're pushed into battle, that you now are ready with the basics to go in and get your specialized training, that when you're sent onto the battlefield in war, you've got the best chance at success and survival. And in the real world, when when you are in school, giving you a basic education gives you the ability to learn later in life when you finally get serious about it, period. And we're not doing it. Coming up in a moment, uh, Chuck Schumer says we need more immigration, but why he says it is the story. I'll let you hear it coming up here in just a couple of moments. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to talk a little bit about our population problem and why we need immigration. Uh, it's it's an incredible. I, I just think that it's incredibly funny. Uh, this is Chuck Schumer on our need for more immigrants. Now more than ever, we're short of workers. We have a population that is not reproducing it on its own with the same level that it used to. The only way we're going to have a great future in America is if we welcome and embrace immigrants, the dreamers, and all of them. Because our ultimate goal is to help the dreamers but get a path to citizenship for all 11 million or however many undocumented there are here. This is what is fascinating to me because we are creating a future problem. What's interesting is the truthfulness of some of what he or what he's saying and what I agree with him on is we need immigrants in this country. I think it's because, first of all, even if we had a, a great workforce, the idea of allowing not allowing people into America, as Reagan said it so eloquently, we are that shining city on the hill. We are still the world's bastion of freedom, and the world sees us that way. The world sees us as entrepreneurs. Now, some don't. Some some see us as the Kardashians, you know, some see us as kind of self-centered and and but the idea that we're going to take Americanism and we're going to close it off is not and anything that I know of anybody wants. What we want is what's reasonable. It's the mixed bag that Chuck Schumer talks about here. We're not reproducing. So therefore, we need to bring immigrants into this country because but it's such a false narrative. Every one of us wants a reasonable pathway to citizenship for people that do it the right way. I don't know anyone, and I know they exist. I know there are those out there that think that we should close off immigration and we're full and we've got enough people and we don't need any more. But they are so few and far between. That's one of the areas that Americans agree on. We agree – that when we see people that are naturalized as American citizens, we stop and pay attention. 
We thank them. We are honored by you wanting to join us. It is patriotic. It makes us love our country more that you love it so much. The problem is, once again, Chuck Schumer is doing what's been done. We are calling everyone an immigrant, whether they do it the right way or they do it the wrong way. I understand and everybody understands the plight of desperate people that need a better life, whether it's they're fleeing war and they are in fear for their lives or they have children and they want them to have a better existence. We all instinctively understand that. But what we should not be doing is mixing the two. What we should be doing is enforcing our existing border laws so we don't have millions of people here that are undocumented. And we have this animosity with the American people. People like Chuck Schumer are part of the problem. What they are doing is turning the American people against the idea of immigration because we don't have control of our border, because there are no rules, because we aren't saying to people, if you do it the right way, we're going to embrace you and you are going to have Americanism and you're going to be entitled to all of the full benefit of the American Constitution, the United States Constitution, where we limit what the government can do. And you're going to have a right to vote in your leadership and all of these things. But if you do it the wrong way, you're not going to have that. That's the way you solve part of this problem. I am absolutely in favor of a guest worker program. I am absolutely in favor of a robust, and not just in the tech industry, in the construction industry, and in any other industry in America that's hurting for, for employees right now. If Americans aren't doing the jobs or don't want to do the jobs, we should open those doors to the people that are either more qualified, unfortunately, from other countries, or are willing. I am in favor of all of that, and I think a lot of Americans are. But the idea that everybody that comes here illegally is an asset to America and that's the way we should – no, you're encouraging more people to come here the wrong way. That is a part of the problem. When we call – to say that there's a difference between legal and illegal immigration certainly is not an insult to anyone. It is holding up the people that honor our laws and want to join as Americans that do it the right way. We hold them up in the highest esteem. That's the difference. Calling them all migrants – means they all are entitled to the same thing, whether they did it the right way or the wrong way. And we don't do that in any other aspect of our life. If you went, if you went to an amusement park and you were standing in line at the amusement park for a ride, if you're at Disney and you're waiting two hours to get on Space Mountain and a group of people jump to the front of the line, you're going to say they shouldn't be there. Well, you know what? It's always been their dream to come to Disney and it's always been their dream to go on Space Mountain and they're already here. So we're going to let them get on the ride in front of you. Nobody would stand for that. It's the same principle. We ask people to do it the right way. And yes, I agree. American immigration laws need to change. We need a more comprehensive system that allows it, makes it easier for people to come here and do it the right way. I agree with that. But breaking the law is not the answer. It never has been and it never will be. What we're going to do just after 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about a Hollywood star making waves when he talks about climate change because he disagrees with the hypocrisy. We'll talk about all of it in just a moment. 